0: entire podcast hinges on data. Data that we got or didn't get from something called a public records request. The ability to request records from public institutions is part of the law and in theory should take only a few weeks at best. I've left a couple messages about some FOIA requests we sent that we never got a response from. We sent out our first batch of requests in September. It is still in process, and we're just, um, yeah, unfortunately, I'm unable to give you any kind of time of completion on that. By May, when we still had not heard back from several universities on a variety of topics, we called to see what the heck was going on. Hi, my name is Camille Raspis. I'm a reporter with the Breckner Center. If you are Center. satisfied with your message, press one. We get tons and tons of requests. I'll work on figuring out what happened and then I'll let you know, you know, how long it would take to get that information. It's me and another girl. And we've noticed that a lot of the schools that we talk to only have like one or two positions dedicated to fulfilling these requests. And that seems like um, that puts a lot of workload on just a couple people.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. It made us wonder. Why are so many of these public records offices so seemingly overwhelmed?
2: It's low priority in agencies. It's very convenient to understaff that office. They view it as grudge work.
0: From the University of Florida's Breckner Center for Freedom of Information, I'm Sarah Gannam, and you're listening to an episode of Why Don't We Know, the podcast that dives deep into data and comes out with real stories. Unlike our freedom of speech, freedom of information is something that comes not from the Constitution, but from laws. There is a federal statute that guarantees freedom of information. You might hear people talking about FOIA. FOIA is technically the Federal Freedom of Information Act, and it's used in shorthand to describe the request for documents from a federal agency. Sometimes people also interchange that and use it to describe documents requested from state agencies. In our case, those agencies were state departments of education and state universities. State schools are subject to open records laws because they're funded by taxpayer dollars. Each state actually has its own slightly different records law. You might sometimes hear people refer to these as sunshine laws. An
1: opinion about sunshine law requests Ohio's sunshine laws.
0: Those laws outline what is considered public and what is exempt. And those exemptions vary. Some states are more open than others. For example... Florida, Washington, and Connecticut are generally considered really open, while others like Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Wyoming are notoriously not. Although the number of exemptions is not the only measurement for whether a state is considered open. We'll come back to that point. There is one major misnomer about public records laws. The information itself is not what's made public. It's the document that's made public. And that can limit the information that you might get. We saw examples of this in almost every episode. If a Department of Education or a university doesn't keep the information in an actual document, like an email or a memo or a spreadsheet... There's nothing mandating that a document should be created just to fulfill a request. An example of that would be like when we asked universities how many head injuries they had in a year.
3: And the really surprising number of universities responded, but said they had nothing to share. They simply don't track head injury trends.
0: If they don't keep that number on a document somewhere, they're not required by law to start counting just because we asked. But let's say all the stars align. The information you want is in a document. The state law says that it's public, and so you decide to make a request for it. You go online, you fill out the one-page request form, you hit send, and the hope is that you're soon going to get the answers that you want. There are still lots of ways that agencies can keep you from actually getting information. We saw these tactics over and over again during our 12-month quest for records.
1: Fifty-plus years into the Freedom of Information Act and the equivalent laws, uh, you know, state laws around the country, we are still experiencing agencies that just blow this off, that consider right-to-know to to be, you know, right-to-n-o,
2: We think we're the leading beacon of democracy in the world, like our poop doesn't stink. And in reality, that's not the case at all.
0: Two of the best open records experts in the country.
2: It's low priority in agencies.
0: Dave Collier, who is the president of the National Freedom of Information Coalition, has testified before Congress about FOIA and is now an associate professor at the University of Arizona.
2: There isn't a stick big enough to make people follow the law, and it's human nature.
0: And Terry Mutchler. We're far beyond sugarcoating this. She's a former journalist turned media law attorney who was hired to create Pennsylvania's Open Records Office in 2009. Now she's a partner with Dilworth Paxson Law Firm.
1: We see many agencies that, um, that game the system. That, uh, and when I say many, I'm talking like, you know, a lot. That game the system.
0: Together, we're going to geek out on some of these issues as we take a step back this episode and look at our fact-finding experience and how well it did or did not work.
2: When it comes to public record laws, we're actually in the bottom half of the world.
0: The bottom half?
2: We're not that great. And yet Americans always think, what? We're so awesome.
0: Well, maybe not awesome, but definitely you think open. That's a really interesting fact. maybe I shouldn't have been so surprised because we did see some pretty bad behavior.
1: All these people are attorneys, and they like to split hairs about what's whether it's actually legally fine.
0: Let's start with delays. It's one of the most frustrating tactics because even though timeframes for responding are written into the law in all but 12 states, agencies can still delay requests for months and months. Like in the case of Daphne Boletsis in episode four, where the university stalled past the time when the family could have used the information in a lawsuit. Almost six months, and it was only 57 pages. I mean, it wasn't like it was voluminous. By the way, when we asked for the same thing, it took UC Santa Cruz eight months to turn it over, even though they had just given it to the family. And so it probably won't surprise you to hear that this tactic also comes in handy for agencies hoping to beat the news cycle. The longer they wait to release the documents, the less likely the press is to report it.
1: I think that we are well past the point of being polite when it comes to um, explaining away people uh, or agencies that uh, either ghost someone with FOIA, play games with FOIA, Or, you know, public records acts across the nation. Here's the bottom line you're either pro-open government or you're not.
0: This is especially relevant right now during the worldwide COVID-19 health crisis.
2: Universities, public universities, have said, sorry, it's not essential. We're going to take longer and we're not going to deal with it.
1: That's become the new cover for. for further delaying transparencies.
2: Sorry, we're closed. That's a non-essential activity. We're not gonna even deal with you at all.
0: On paper, the average response time is supposed to be about 20 days. But anyone who regularly files these requests knows that entities can easily extend the timeframe by 30, 60, 90 days, sometimes more. And in the 12 states that don't actually quantify that timeframe, the request simply needs to be fulfilled in a reasonable amount of time. Well, reasonable for you and I might be a lot different than reasonable to the records officer. It leaves it open for the agency to decide when the requester is going to get an answer. Not to sound like
1: a FOIA geek here, but you know, believe it or not, this issue and this tension has existed since um, since the founding of our nation. And if you actually look at the Declaration of Independence, there is um, one of the, I think it's the fourth or fifth grievance that they outlined against the king said that he called together legislative bodies at a distant repository from, uh, from their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance. And I mean, that just plays out over and over again. And so... You know, that's when I know that I've been in this, you know, (laughs) this niche work too long. But, you know, when I when you when you actually figure out that, wow, they've been talking about this since, you know, 1776.
0: Fast forward 240 years and delays are still common. But there are universities that are known to use this tactic a lot can I tell you, I'm still waiting for some universities to respond to a request I made eight years ago about test scores of student athletes. I don't think those documents are ever coming. But anyway, the official reason that's given is almost always that there's a backlog of requests and not enough time to fulfill them.
2: It's low priority in agencies. I mean, it's not in their best interest to give it out information that they don't want out. So it's very convenient to understaff that office. There's nothing in the law that I have ever seen that says, oh, it's okay not to comply with it if you feel like you're understaffed.
0: There's nothing that that says you will be penalized if your, let's say your average response rate is like a year.
2: Exactly. And that's the problem with the system. The problem is there isn't teeth in it. That's the big hole in our public records law. And until we get that, they're going to be ignored. They're going to be abused, and they're not going to work. Funding is an issue across the board, no matter, no matter what
1: entity you're looking at. The bottom line here is that people in agencies and in, you know, policymakers, they look at responding to Freedom of Information Act requests and right-to-know law requests as extra work instead of incorporating it into the fiber of their work.
0: We decided to take a deeper look at why that backlog might exist. We compared the budget and the staffing of the open records offices to the budget and the staffing of the marketing or public relations offices. The data shows great discrepancies. Sometimes the gaps are tens of millions of dollars. For example, at the University of Oklahoma, which did not respond to two of our requests for more than 11 months. Unfortunately, I'm unable to give you any kind of time of completion on that. The FOIA officer explained that they are staffed by just two people.
1: Our office is reliant on other departments on on campus. We'll receive the request, but then we have to reach out to other departments.
0: We looked online and found that the Marketing Public Relations Office has 16 times more staff than the Records Office. And that staffing gap might be okay if the Records Office was getting their work done. But we aren't the only ones who had to wait a really long time for a pretty basic request. The Oklahoman newspaper recently wrote about how it took 20 months for that same office to respond to one of their requests, and when the response did come, it was a simple denial. Another school, California State Long Beach, they didn't respond to any of our requests, except the one where we asked about their budget. It turns out that they have one and a half people working on records requests and 17 people working on marketing. The dollar breakdown goes like this, $150,000 for the records office, $2.2 million for the marketing office, and at UC Santa Cruz, which took eight months to hand over one document. It might not shock you to learn that they didn't respond to our request about office budgets, but we did an online search and we found that just three people are listed as employees of the records office. By comparison there are dozens of people who work under the office of university relations.
1: Look, I you know, I've been doing this for way too long. Both as a reporter as a lawyer, I've been on the government side, I've been, you know, in every facet of the Right to Know Law and and FOIA I've handled. And There is no one that could stand in front of me with a straight face and say that to not receive a response in nine months to a request for records is anything less than obfuscation. You know, they can call it what they want. They can say overwhelmed, they can say understaffed, they can say whatever it is. At the end of the day, uh, universities described as you have by the size that you have, um, that's not understaffed. It's appalling. If I were the head of an agency, or a university, it would be an embarrassment, in my view, to know that someone has filed a request for records and hasn't even gotten a response. I mean, how else do you say it? It's not
0: cool. Some of the universities who were most delinquent in responding to us are in states where, on paper, you'd think that there would be really good sunshine laws which is why Dave Collier doesn't measure states by the number of exemptions to open records, but instead by their rate of compliance to those requests.
2: Traditionally, a lot of people have measured that by looking at the laws. And that's one approach, and that's a good approach. But just that there's an assumption that we're talking that strong laws result in better compliance, I really don't think that's necessarily true all the time. I looked at thousands of requests and how they came out, we're talking about actual compliance of the law here, whether or not people get the records they ask for. And what we find is that states that have a mandatory fee shifting provision in their law tend to have better compliance.
0: Okay, so what is fee shifting? Well, let's first take a step back. Let's say you filed your request and you were denied, but you believe that denial was wrong you can sue the agency. And fee shifting laws say that if you win your case in court, the agency now has to pay for your attorney's fees, which can be really hefty. About one third of states have these laws.
2: Agencies pay attention to that because it can hurt them. They may have to pay $80,000, $100,000 if they lose a public records lawsuit. The worst states in the country with compliance are those in the deep south, Alabama, Mississippi, Kentucky, those states have abysmal compliance with the law.
0: Of course, there's also politics, and that plays a part in this too.
2: If they have a political culture that favors secrecy and hiding, they're gonna game the system, whether they have an exemption or not in the law.
1: And right-to-know law, uh, laws around the country, you know, are highly emotional laws. I still, I see it all in my work all around the country. You know, there are agencies that um and, you know let me how can i say this plainly on one hand you have citizens and members of the media who are convinced that every public official or every state agency office holder is a criminal and on the other hand you sometimes have agencies that um that don't like the public and so there is a sweet spot that should be balanced here with a citizen's right to know about what's going on in their government, how it's being handled, you know, whatever the, the public record would reveal. Um, and with balancing the fact that, that agencies also have a myriad of uh, responsibilities, and, and that's why it does come down to a philosophy and a commitment.
0: There's another huge barrier when it comes to FOIA, which we can't ignore, and that is fees. Fees can be killer. The law typically allows for entities to charge for the time and resources, like copies, that it takes to find and prepare documents. But keeping that fee reasonable, well, that's another story. And so it's not uncommon to get a bill for thousands of dollars for documents that seem pretty basic. But just to give you an idea of what we encountered in our reporting for this podcast.
3: In total, we received 42 requests for fees, and if we paid for all of them, it would have been more than $26,000.
0: Associate producer Tori Whitten was the chief organizer of this reporting project, and she managed the fee requests. What she found is that most of the money requested was to compile records for Greek organization misconduct.
3: The numbers added up to about $19,000 from that category alone.
0: She also found that one-third of all the fee requests we received came from one state. Texas.
3: Universities there sent the most fee requests. We got back seven, totaling $7,500. Florida was a close second with four major Florida schools, Florida State, Florida International, and the universities of South Florida and Central
0: Florida, all requesting
3: fees to provide documents.
0: Keep in mind, We requested the same documents from approximately 100 similarly sized schools and several of them gave us these documents for free. So then, why did some charge thousands of dollars? There were six times that documents we requested were quoted above $1,000. The highest fee request we got was just over $6,500. And it came from the University of Maryland, responding to our request for documents that showed Greek organization rule violations over the last five years. I've worked for big news organizations and small ones, and neither has ever been willing to pay thousands of dollars to get a few documents. Now imagine being a student, a parent, a victim. Fees like that basically make the documents private again. Charging
1: fees for public records, um, in my view, is one of the biggest areas of uh, you know, a technique designed to deny access to citizens. I've seen it, I can't even tell you the number of times I've seen it.
2: I firmly believe that every public records law should have zero fees that there should be absolutely no cost whatsoever in search time and even photocopies. It should be free to access your government's information. It's like electricity. I mean, when I walk into city hall, should I pay an entry charge, an entry fee to go in there because there's electricity being used for lighting and heating? We need to get away from this idea that user fees should be charged for getting records until we all come around and think that way We're still going to see agencies abuse the system and charge outrageous fees for copies and search and redaction time. And that's just wrong.
0: Dave Collier's opinion on fees is still the minority view, even amongst his peers in the open government world.
1: What courts around the country have said is that there is a reasonable fee to charge for um, the production of records.
0: Probably one of the most outrageous examples of abuse of fees happened in 2011 at Johnson Community College in Overland Park, Kansas. A reporter for the school's newspaper requested some email exchanges between administrators. The initial response was that it would cost more than $47,000 due up front in order to fulfill this request. Thankfully, the reporter, Marcus Clem, fought that claim and sued And in the settlement, the university agreed that actually the work would cost about, wait for it, $450, which if you're doing the math, is less than 1% of the initial quote. And there are instances similar to this all across the country.
1: I was representing a news organization in Florida and the county wanted to charge $23,000 for these records. And what we were able to do is to really drill down on that and determine that what was actually owed was about 23 bucks, 22 bucks.
0: How could that happen?
1: They're not interested in doing it in a lot of instances, even though they're required by law to do it. So I think that numbers get inflated. I think people just anecdotally say, oh my God, we spent 20 hours on this, when probably it might be more of a situation where they spent... 18 hours complaining in their head about it, and then two hours actually, you know, with the work.
0: Okay, I know what you're thinking. These are advocates we're talking to, people on the outside looking in, and so of course they feel this way. I hear you. And so I talked to someone who is actually in charge of responding to records requests for a school district in Florida.
3: Hi, my name is Matt
0: Reed. Matt Reed has been on both sides of this issue. He's been the requestor and the requestee. When we spoke, Reed was... The
3: communications director and the custodian of public records for Brevard Public Schools.
0: And so I asked him. Because I think that a lot of journalists and members of the public, when they make a request and the outcome is not favorable or is not what they expected, their automatic thinking is oh, well, you know, they just don't want to give me this information. Um, But what's really going on from your point of view?
3: Well, I think the three biggest things that we encounter are, number one, new restrictions on security information, which have been added to some very stringent federal student privacy laws.
0: We're going to get into that in a big way later in the season, but I was surprised to hear Matt Reed agree that inflating fees are a problem.
3: Uh, Secondly are costs. I've tried to tackle that issue, but I have found that um, local governments, including school districts, charge too much, too often for public records, and too often local governments follow guidance that says You know, uh, uh, you may charge up to 15 cents for a photocopied page, but the the weight of court rulings on this issue says that it should be the actual cost of duplication up to, say, 15 cents.
0: So instead of defaulting to the highest number, they should take what it actually costs, is what you're saying?
3: And I think it would be a great story for somebody to request the photocopying contracts that most large governments have to find out exactly how much that cost is, and then compare it to how much they were just charged for that document. Our our cost here at Brevard Public Schools matches that for a whole lot of other school districts in Florida, because it's the same vendors and contracts, and it's about a penny and a half per page, not 15 cents. But that's not the biggest fee that causes people to stop pushing for information and to not not get what they are seeking. The biggest cost are fees charged for labor. And this is one of those frustrating situations where the only legal guidance in Florida is a very questionable court case from 1991 that was allowed to stand by an appeals court that said that if a, if a request takes more than 15 minutes to fulfill, that can be considered an extensive public records request, and you can charge a special service fee for labor.
0: Wow, 15 well, minutes is not really that long.
3: <laughs> it's ridiculous. It is not long. We are routinely charging labor costs um, when we shouldn't be.
0: Matt Reed came to the job after being a journalist for many years, skeptical, like many of us, of high fees, long delays, and other tactics that are regularly used. And so I asked him if any of his views changed when he switched sides.
3: I think I found a couple of things. One is, nobody believes that it's part of their job to go get information when somebody requests it. You're being paid to be a public servant and providing information to the public about what you do is part of your job. It may not be every day, but that doesn't make a request an extraordinary thing or a burden. I, I've also seen, to be fair, um, there are gadflies in every community who will ask for the world. And it can't be a giveaway. I mean, if you can't shut down a whole department to go get every last scrap of paper or or data blip, and if you're a school principal or a school administrator of some kind, there's there's no end to the number of demands and questions and sometimes complaints that you get from parents and others out in the community. And so, just trying to maintain control of your workload in your day means trying not to overly engage um, and and just to just to keep keep business going. I think also at the policy level, uh, with school boards and superintendents and others, you know, they tend to, to want to be very savvy with PR and politics and marketing. And that means being very strategic and, and being very strategic means keeping your hand close to your vest or you're playing your, playing your cards close to your vest. And, uh, and so they kind of create a bubble of, um, Kind of secrecy around them whether they intend to or not because they don't want people to know that behind what they're telling people is this kind of messaging strategy that they've got built
0: can you tell me are most people who hold this job are they like you
3: <laughs> i don't think there are very many people that have the same outlook that i do even among reporters the interest in public records law and sunshine is not uniform um I think that for the most part, people who have my job come from the public relations and marketing world. So their knowledge or even concern about public records is minimal. And what happens is that we have longstanding policies and procedures carried out by people in cubicles who process these requests. And they're just following the rules that were given to them. And if we don't pay close attention, or update our policies and procedures to be fair, then that's just gonna continue through pure inertia.
0: Let's take a minute to discuss some of the policies and procedures that might need to be updated. For example, a few state schools told us that the only way to file a records request is to print out a form, handwrite your request, and then fax or mail it back in the U.S. mail okay, 1987. Or how about this? In states like Pennsylvania and Alaska, some universities that get public funding still don't have to respond to records requests because the law was written to exempt them. In episode 3, which focuses on Penn State, we only got a hold of records about their asbestos control program because those records are a part of litigation, not because they responded to an open records request. We asked Penn State for records on the other topics in our other episodes anyway, just to see if maybe they'd share, but they didn't. And in five states, we could get no documents for no other reason than that part of their open record law is that you're only privy to records if you can prove that you live in that state. And since no one on our team lives in Alabama, Arkansas, New Hampshire, Tennessee, or Virginia, Those states and their schools basically skate. They escape scrutiny. And there's not a whole lot that we can do about it.
1: I believe that there should be a unified right-to-know law um, in the states around the country. You know, it's kind of like my life's mission.
0: But, alas, until Terry Mutchler is victorious in that life mission, we have some bigger fish to fry. Because we found some pretty sneaky stuff going on. Folks are getting creative finding ways to just plain hide documents that they don't want to share. We saw a glimpse of this in the concussions episode when the University of Central Florida told us that their records were not public because they were housed inside their athletic association, which is private, working as an arm of a public institution. We're going to explore these private foundations more in the episode after next. But first...
3: And he was sort of laughing. He said, oh,
1: he's like, you know... We have ways of of keeping that stuff away from you.
0: Another way that public schools stash away documents that should otherwise be available.
2: If your state allows it, we'll own the data.
0: They hand around the
3: iPads, let people read it, and then pick up the iPads again.
0: That's next time on Why Don't We Know.
2: data i data but it doesn't really matter open data open data no it doesn't
0: really matter this episode was written and produced by me sarah Gannum. additional reporting was done by camille respis and brianna edwards the associate producer is tori whitten this episode was edited by Amy Foo. Music for this episode was composed by Daniel Townsend and by Keith McDonald, who wrote and performed the Open Data song. The executive producer is Frank Lamonti. Why Don't We Know is a production of the Breckner Center for Freedom of Information at the University of Florida. A special thanks to the Hearst Family Foundation for providing the grant money that supported this reporting. For more information about this episode, visit www.whydon'twenow.org.